Mike Erie and Kenton B. Shore here the day after Valentine's Day. Kenton, what did you do for your sweet wife, Lori? I took her out to dinner, and oh, did we have a great Valentine's dinner. She loves me. Well, yes. Where did you go does. to dinner? I went to Pelican Hill. Got a gift certificate from a friend. Nice. Went there, so it was fun. I How about you? What'd I wouldn't you do? want people to think that you had enough money to eat there on your own, so That's I'm glad right. to hear it was a gift certificate. Because we just talked about false teachers. That's exactly right. <laughs> you have fruit, go. bro? That's right. Well, Justy and I went to Beachcomber for breakfast. Well, there you go. And it, we took a walk, had a good talk. It Beachcomber, was fantastic. I didn't even know if they were still open. They were open. Anything with Comer in it, <laughs> I'm a fan of, just okay. because I have so little interaction with Combs. Um... Ken, we talked um, about uh, three different pictures that Jesus gives ending the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Right? So so a broad and narrow gate and path. He talks about true teachers and false teachers. And then he talks about building a foundation on sand versus building a foundation on the rock. What he surprised does. you about the weekend? Well, what I loved about the weekend is we talked about making that decision at the end of the day. So that people, Jesus comes to the end and he says, it's time to decide. And we're a culture that likes to keep things open. We like to think about things. But Jesus forces a decision and he says, you're going to have to go through a narrow gate. And Mm -hmm. you better be careful who you listen to about this. Because it's not just building your life in a one-time decision. It's over building your life. And it's your eternal destinies at stake. And so talking all through that uh, was exciting. And of course, at the end, we gave people the opportunity to stand up and say, I believe a number of people that did that. So I love that. But the other side was too, you know, as you talk about building a life, you're really talking to people about even if you've gone through the narrow gate and you choose to listen to the right teacher, what Jesus says at the end is he's saying the difference in building a life is the people who hear God's word and obey it. And there are some people who come to church, they listen to good teaching, but they don't let that teaching infiltrate their life, make a difference, and as a result, you know, the house looks the same today, but someday right. trouble's coming. Right. And in that trouble, there's going to be that moment where they realize, was I building that's my right. life on something solid that's truthful, that can endure the difficulties of life and the pain and the sadness, which is only God's Word uh, can do that. So I think yeah. people that have walked with God got to hear that sense of, you know what, that's right. This is, I've got to think about how am I building my life? Am I following the truth. Am That's I listening? Because right. it's not. I mean, Jesus in this passage in Matthew 7 rules out just having correct information, right? right? He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, or just focusing on the spectacular, mm-hmm. right? So it seems like the two extremes of Christianity are, number one, it's just all head knowledge, and as long as you memorize the answers in the book, you're fine. Right. And the other extreme is, well, as long as you're experiencing something um, that is out of the ordinary, then it's good, too. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Those are both... Um, not what I mean and not what I've come to do and And, not what it means to follow me. And Jesus was, I like that in it, he says to people, look at false teachers are a fact of life. You know, they're people that are not going to agree or they're going to interpret what I say in a different way. And Mm -hmm. they don't wear badges. It's not like you can say, oh, there they are. You know, they come disguised and they hurt people and it's devastating what they do. But he says you can 
you can identify them, yep. and you can identify them in certain ways. Gives a practical. So what way is to fruit? Know the truth. So so how did you define fruit? So he says the way you'll know them is by their fruit. What's he mean there? Well, and he goes on and he says basically their words and their lifestyle match up. Fruit, I think, always in God's word is related to character, and so I think people who display the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, in a wonderfully human way. Nobody's perfect, but there has to be that growing character the growing uh, fruit of the Spirit in their life. And I think people who have a rebellious spirit, have a prideful heart, uh, people who need the attention drawn to them, you know, you're not seeing God's uh, Spirit in their life and the fruit of that. How'd you talk about it? Uh, We talked about it, um, about the difference between uh, being an admirer and being a, a follower of Jesus. So lots of people admire Jesus. Lots of people will hold him up. Um, you know, we have t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is very popular in culture. And um, false teachers will hijack Jesus for their own purposes. True teachers uh, submit to Jesus as he promotes the will of the Father. And so, you know, I love how Paul writes to one of his churches. He says, and he's talking about teachers. He says, consider carefully the outcome of their way of life. Mm-hmm. And there's this, there, there's that kind of sense that Jesus says, you know, if if, if uh, you can't do that, or um, if they don't admit weakness, frailty, vulnerability, sinfulness, you know, then then there's a, I think, a right for people to be skeptical. And I think there was also a challenge in it, right? We talk about being an admirer of Jesus, and our churches are full of admirers, but Jesus doesn't in- call us to admire because admire gets us nowhere. That's the broad gate, really. The narrow gate's obedience, and so it's a it's a really good message for those of us that have said yes to him, convinced it's by grace through faith we've been saved, but forget that second part of the Ephesians passage that talks about we've been saved for good works. There's a purpose to our salvation just to hijack us up to heaven. There's stuff for us to do, and that comes through obedience. So it was a really good conversation, as you've said, on both sides, for those not yet in the kingdom and for those that were in the kingdom. Right. Okay, so what questions do we have? Oh, we got questions. Um, one, one set of questions re- revolves around legalism. So we bring up the idea of obedience, and some folks then will just, you know, you, you can take grace and just say, well, it doesn't matter what I do, or you can take obedience and say, it, that is the only thing that matters, and there's some middle ground. And so th- these set of questions have to do with uh, the concept of legalism. So one question is, how would you define legalism? Second is... Uh, legalistic Christians seem so devoid, oftentimes, of the fruit of the Spirit, generally speaking. Do we regard them as brothers and sisters or as not redeemed? Um, thirdly, for the legalist, pointing fingers is easy. How do you attempt to detect those tendencies in ourselves? And then lastly, how do you decide when to oppose and when to endure the comments of legalists among us? So a really profound set of questions. Legalism, let's start there. All what right. is it? Well, legalism is... It's approaching God on the basis of my good works. I obey God, and God sees my obedience, and therefore he, he graces me, he loves me, he accepts me based on what I do. And a legalist can be a person who is a believer or a person who isn't a believer. And but thinks they are. Clearly. <laughs> and the problem is, is that, let me just talk about in the believer side, yeah. and then you can do it. You know, creeping legalism is an issue that we have to deal with our whole life. We don't get out of it this side of 
the kingdom. It's forever going to be something that's a part of who we are. There's a sense of if I can earn it and if I can deserve it, I can feel worthy of it. And it's, I think it's anchored in human pride. There is a sense that if I, if I do something, then I can feel good about it. And when it comes to our spiritual life, there is constantly that journey to humility. I can't do this. It's not that I'm totally worthless, but I can't earn God's love. I can't merit his favor. But there is a part of me in my brokenness. There's a part of everyone that continually wants to do that. And then you read God's word and it talks about the importance of obedience. And obedience, there's these lines, uh, boundaries, things that teach us how to live so that we, it doesn't get us into the kingdom. I mean, the law wasn't given until God already chose his people. That's right. And he taught them how to worship. And yeah, so so it's even in the Old Testament, the idea of God's truth was given to a people of God. Already redeemed. That's right. That's right. It wasn't so that you become a people. It's now that you are a people. God's saying, here's the boundaries. Here's the stop signs. Here's the speed limits. This is the journey of life. And some of those are conditional. I mean, some of the promises, like you take Old Testament in Israel, listen, if they didn't obey, they were kicked out of the land. Right. Now, they were still chosen. That's right. And they were still adopted and called God's son. But the the blessing of being in the land and experiencing his favor went away. Conditional on his right. performance. We always talk about the, the grace of pain, that if God took away the pain or the consequences of sin, we would be forever lost because we wouldn't experience even today some of the painful consequences of making decisions and we wouldn't move away from it. Pain is a grace and it keeps us, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's a good grace. So legalism, you know, Satan is so good. You know, some of it is our fallenness, some of it is our enemy, and I don't know how it all gets mixed in there. Right. But for good-hearted, loving believers that are going to read God's word, there has to be an awareness, at least in my life, where I am going to see creeping legalism just start inching its way back into my life. It is this hideous way that pride, my pride makes me fall back into. So I know that I'm not saved by grace. I know it's all by what God does. But there's these moments where I start to do things. I look at, wow, I'm doing this. I right. build a little confidence. Then I build self-confidence. Then I become trusting in myself. And before I know it, I'm creeped into legalism. So for believers, I think it's a it's a journey for the rest of our life totally. to struggle with this creeping legalism. And there's and there's a sense, you know, we covered a lot about this in the Why Jesus Hates Religion yeah. series, because legalism and hypocrisy go hand in hand. Often, and, and the paradigm example of legalism um, comes from Luke 18, where the, the Pharisee comes before the Lord and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, which was way more than the law required. I tithe even the, the smallest of everything I have, which is way more than the law required. And he almost boasts before God, whereas the tax collector, the scum of Jewish society, just you know beats his fist to his chest and says, you know, he can't even look up and he says, God, have mercy on me. Make atonement for me. And Jesus says, well, it's the tax collector that goes home justified. Why? Because central to the journey of faith is our the recognition of our brokenness and need. Right. And so the, 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 the thing that happens when you become legalistic, and we all do, 
is that I look at the, the way it hits me is I look at the, the Pharisee and I think, I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisee. The Pharisee looks at the tax collector and says, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector. I look at the Pharisee and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisee. And the minute you've done that, you've played the Pharisee legalistic game. Central to legalism is the judgment of others based only on externals. Pride is the mother of all sin. And because it is, every time I get lured into the land of pride, it gives birth to all sorts of sins. I can, I can be judgmental. I can be better than. I can begin to think that, look at what I did on my own. I'm less dependent on God. I don't run to him in prayer. I, I forget that every day, you know, God gives me what I need today to sustain me. He gives me everything that I need today for my spiritual life. But I need him again tomorrow, and I need him again the next day. That's right. And so I Grace live just a life of dependence. Right. Grace is the whole thing. It is absolutely the way that I live life. And isn't it interesting, though, that there's this sense that we, we walk, we look against false teachers by looking at the fruit of their life. And yet the tension is we don't want to make such critical, superficial judgments that we fall into legalism because the legalist trap is just looking. So you go to Pelican Hill, I see you there, you're a pastor, and I say, there's no way a pastor should ever be eating here. It's way too expensive. They don't know you got a gift certificate. Right. That's a legalistic judgment. But the flip side is, right. is that you have false teachers out there that live lifestyles that are totally incongruent right. with the way of Jesus. And so there is this, there's a bit of a, a balance here. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's, it is a struggle. It, and it's a good struggle. And yeah. it's a question we constantly need to ask ourselves. And it can only be done in community. I mean, for me, I have to have people in who are in my life enough who can call me on this stuff. Because I'll just go nuts on dumb little things. Um, Did we answer them all? Or do you got another question? Uh, how do you decide when to oppose and when to endure the comments of the legalists among us? And I think that's a great question. And I, I would point to how Paul does. So clearly Paul is aware of people who have legalizing tendencies, right? So he writes Romans 14 about the issue of, of meat and some days are sacred and some people don't think ever, some days are sacred and he's talking about grace. But then when, when legalists start crossing over into adding to the gospel, right? So you see this in Philippians and Galatians, right? He's going after them. Anybody who would say, you got to be circumcised or follow the law of Moses to follow Jesus, man, he uses some really, really harsh language. Beware of those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh, he says in Philippians. So Paul had this kind of two-pronged approach, right? There's, there's stuff that's not central to the gospel, that he gives grace on and teaches, hey, weaker brothers and stronger brothers. And often the weaker brother was the legalistic brother. Right. The stronger brother was the brother that understood the freedom we have in Christ. Right. But when it was central to the gospel, holy moly, he went after him. What would you add to that? Well, I think that's right. And there's two ways to fall off the road. We fall off the road like the person asking the question. He gets it. We fall off the road with cheap grace. I can do anything. You know, everything's legal, so I can do anything, and there's no responsibilities. And in those passages you just talked about, Paul said, you know, everything's you know legal, but it's not always profitable, and I've got to consider some other things. So I can't go falling off the road on 
I can do anything and God forgives everything. But on the other side is I can't, you know, I can't just run towards there's a line and a rule for everything and I just get to be boxed into these rules and if I can figure them all out, I'm safe. We're called to live in this this kind of road of wisdom and we've got to watch bouncing off the road on either side. Amen. And that's true in more than just legalism. Um, we are out for today. So wherever you are, we, um, we hope you recognize that, that you are... Oh, yes. Oh, and uh, Sandy, who is in the booth with us, as they say, reminded us we're doing a healing service ah. this weekend. So give, give me 10 seconds on that, KB. Well, it gives a wonderful opportunity for people to come and one watch people come to God in faith saying I believe that God is a healer we come as the people of God in faith saying God we believe God this still is something heals? you can do he still heals God still are you heals. sure he can do it okay God is a healer so uh, we invite you to come and uh, and to be ready so we will see you next time <laughs>